0: How you doing, Nathan?
1: I'm really good after that experience just now.
0: I'm happy to be back in the podcast with you. I'm very happy to be in the
1: podcast with you.
0: uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about friendship. Between like us friends? Like you and me being friends? I'd like to start out with friendship in general and then hone in on ours in specific.
1: So as your friend, can I tell you that it was really funny to watch you go in to talk to the microphone and the microphone is about 15 feet from your face. <laughs> the learning curve
0: is steep, my friend. <laughs> <It's> so steep. <laughs>
1: I just think we need to take a quick break because I need to have a cup of coffee because you're told we're getting ready to talk about Adonis and whoever else and I...
0: I, How about I buy you fly?
1: Does that mean you go and brew it?
0: No, that means I pay for it if you go pick it up. Okay, well, it's got to be delicious. I think it will be because the coffee around here is good. Tell me about it. Coffee around here. Remember a couple weeks ago, I guess it was? I don't know. You were complaining about it. It's gotten a lot better. Yeah, it's gotten a lot better because
1: we've switched to John Conti coffee.
0: Yes, John Conti coffee. Locally brewed, roasted, artisanal craftsmen of coffee. Louisville, Kentucky Bay since 1962. That's insane. It's Kentucky proud. We are Kentucky proud. We've said that before,
1: but there's nothing like pouring an incredible cup of Joe and knowing that it's going to be delicious. You can put a little sugar in it, maybe a little cream, maybe nothing, and it's still going to be incredible every single time. My morning routine literally is the same. It is go to the coffee pot, get some John Conti fresh grounds, brew that stuff, pour it into my mug, get on my way to the funeral home, and I'm in good shape. You missed
0: the fact that you add about six cups of sugar. That is entirely false. We were having a meeting the other day. You were there, and we had the privilege of watching a John Conti employee do her thing. She snuck in and out of our meeting space like a stealth ninja and only stopped because we asked her, hey, tell us what you love about your job. She said, I love my job because the people care about their employees. And she's been with them a very, very long time. So shout out to her. There wouldn't
1: be 6,000 stores and places across all 50 states carrying John Conti if there wasn't heart behind it, not to mention the deliciousness. Speaking of, I'm going to go and
0: brew some right this very moment. A special thanks to John Conti. So, uh, how have you
1: been? I'm doing really well today. I feel really good. It's nice and rainy out. I feel productive on rainy days in a weird way because when the sun's shining, you're like, oh, I need to be out there, but you know what I'm talking about? I do. And I feel like I'm in it to win it.
0: Yeah, I hear you. How are you, man? I'm well and thankful uh, everybody in my family is healthy, and uh, we've come off of a good weekend and uh, looking forward to another one. It's mon- It's Tuesday, everybody's, Wednesday. Everybody's got a dream. So, I don't even know what day it is. Wasn't that from Pretty Woman? Uh, I don't know. Wasn't there a man kind of roaming around from scene to scene every now and then who would say, everybody's <laughs> got a dream? I have not a clue. Well, if there wasn't, there should have been, and that was an edit miss on their part. <sighs> That's So uh, yeah, I'm thankful and um, happy to be here, but I've been thinking a lot recently about relationships, of course, given what I do, that's kind of a staple, you know, that's where my mind goes, but I've been thinking specifically about friendship, and I don't know what that is. I tend not to question the muse, I just kind of follow the way. By the way, I do want to give a little bit of a a boost or um, an encouragement for people who are interested in talking about the muse and inspiration, and creativity to read a book uh, called The War of Art. Uh, the, the subtitle is something like Winning the uh, Inner Battle of Creativity, and it's by the man who wrote the book that became the movie The Legend of Bagger Vance. And uh, that book is, this book, the war of art it's phenomenal it's very easy read it's in vignettes it's kind of you can do it in short bursts or all at once if you'd like but it talks about the power of this force that we all have called resistance i think freud called it um freud called it something <laughs> it'll come to me in a minute but this guy calls it resistance the death wish Freud called it the death wish. We all have this kind of thing in us that pushes against our inner drive to uh, accomplish that for which we are built, this kind of call that we have on our lives. There's something in us that kind of pushes against that, something in us that pushes us toward that, and resistance is the power that works us against it, Uh, and the, the muse is the one who pulls us toward it. So it's a really great book. It's a great read. For people out there who, like us, are struggling with day-to-day life, trying to figure out how to love on the kids, be a faithful um, partner in a relationship, carry a good job, pay the bills, do something in your life that matters. I think it's important for us to think about what does it mean for us to be free, creative, and why aren't we more free to do that? It's a great book, great read. But it brings me to the concept of friendship. What do you think about friendship what do you look for when you're looking for friends
1: i like people that are like-minded i like people you know for instance you you know you and i have great conversation like we're having now it's just this open dialogue there's no judgment there's no there's this come as you are mentality i there's something beautiful about that and in high school remember in high school when you would walk the halls and you would see people leaning into the other's ear and they're maybe whispering something and, and your thought is, well, I hope they're not talking about me. And you just long so badly for friendships, relationships, and you work diligently to get as many as you possibly can. And then you turn 33 years old, you look over your shoulder and the 150 of them that you had in high school, there's like three or five remaining. And those are the actually the true ones all along. And then you learn the value of what a friend is. So I look for people that are like-minded I'm not necessarily the same faith traditions or not necessarily uh, the same political values. Those are just two simple uh, examples, but uh, that's that's why I think you and I get along so well. Is just that we are friends because we just have no, um, there's no expectation.
0: Do you have those people in your life that you may not have talked to uh, for a while, and it could be a long while, but when you do have the opportunity to talk to them, you pick up like you hadn't missed beat you pick up right where you left off you start telling the same old stories i remember uh when we were in college and after college getting together with some high school friends of mine back in uh, virginia beach which is where i'm from and where i went to school and we would uh we'd get together in the back of someone's uh pickup truck we wouldn't leave the driveway you know we weren't drinkers we weren't doing anything ridiculous we had some like um off-brand Dr. Pepper and a big bag of cheese puffs, and this is us as adults, and we would just sit around <laughs> telling stories about when we weren't adults, and uh, it, it's so funny, and we all have such interesting ways of, of uh, telling uh, telling those stories. I remember one time uh, we were <laughs> we were doing that, and there was some kind of get-together going on in the yard behind where we were, uh, at my friend uh, Chris Brown's house. There was a get-together back there, and all of a sudden this this cop car pulls up, and we're like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. So there was a, a privacy fence, but it was an older fence, and we, we kind of crept up to it to see what was going on. They were having a party. Now the cops are here, and this was new to us. You know, we were still at this point. Um, I think we were – this is late high school. And uh, the policeman gets out, and he's just reading these people the riot act, and all of a sudden his partner kind of turns around and he, he bends over. We don't know what he's doing. Turns out he was pushing play on a boombox. They weren't cops. They were male strippers. Is this real? It's a true story. And it's a story we tell every time we see each other. It was hilarious. And I'd like to say that we stopped watching at that point, went back to where we were eating our cheese puffs and our off-brand Dr. Pepper. I would <laughs> like to be able to say that. <laughs> like geez. So anyway, friends are people who can get together and tell old stories like they hadn't missed a beat.
1: I love friendships like that. I do have a couple of really close friends that we don't get to see each other a lot. You know, I have, uh, Jake, he's serving in the military, grateful for him. And, you know, Mikey, Mikey's here, Joel and, uh, and, and, and John, you know, these guys are close to me. And of course I get the luxury of seeing Brent and so forth in Dallas, but you know, I'm over here just, I'm blessed. In other words, you Mm -hmm. know, some people don't have that close, close friendship. And, um, what I want to ask that I just thought of is like, what are your thoughts on friendship in the workplace? Because that's an interesting dynamic, especially for those of us listening that are uh, leaders in said workplace and their friends are their employees, uh, they, you know, they have to walk that fine line. You know what I'm talking about?
0: I do. And I think, I think I'm think i one who has learned the hard way that friendships and work relationships must be kept separate now that isn't like everything that i would say that's never to be taken as a sweeping generality or as a concrete law obviously there are exceptions that prove the rule especially when you're in smaller companies or you're in a startup of course startup people are going to they're going to gather the people around them that they know and whom they trust those are going to be friendships and that's going to inform and shape largely how that that business develops but in a um a more historied um, type of place or a larger staff, it creates a lot of problems because there's this kind of favoritism bit. There's a little bit of nepotism, even though that's technically about, you know, family, but there's that same kind of dynamic. Uh, it, and i tell you where I encounter it to be the most difficult is in clients that I see in my practice at the clinic at the Montgomery here in Owensboro is that people feel like they cannot communicate truth to those in power, because those in power also happen to be friends. And it changes the dynamic of both the work environment as well as the friendship. And I find in my experience, however limited, that normally both suffer, sometimes both end, when it didn't have to be that way.
1: Is that when you talk about placating? Just uh, maybe not even... You mean a, a, a staff person? A staff person going to their employer, placating the leader. A lot of times you see that. A lot of times with like a, within the friends. I do. Yeah. Okay. I think
0: I think it can come off as like I really respect you because the position you're in, but really it's like I'm just saying what I know I'm supposed to say, uh, because I don't appreciate your style of leadership or I don't appreciate the direction that we're headed, or there's some things going on in my life that I feel like I need to be able to be honest with you about, and I would be honest with you about if you were my friend, but because you also are my employer or my boss or my supervisor or manager. I'm not able to be that. So the power dynamic and differentials change given the roles that we play. And I'm a big, I'm a keen and and huge supporter of delineating those things and talking about them, like coming, like, Let's say that there are like in your case, you know, where there might be uh, close friends or family members or others who work under your leadership to be able to say, I need to have a conversation with you as a manager or as an owner to an employee. This does not have a bearing on our personal relationship. This is about work, but it takes two very mature people to be able to say okay, this is about business. I can keep it separate. You know, maturity means you can separate personal from business, but a lot of us aren't in that space. And it's like, you know what, you're going to come at me like this when I'm your friend, we've known each other forever, or I'm your sister, or that creates a lot of hurt feelings and it, it, can, it can end relationships. It certainly makes them turbulent. I think that can be avoided by being very clear about what hat we're wearing and asking the other person to be equally as clear.
1: So you think it could be avoided at the very beginning of the relationship altogether, work relationship. So if uh, I hire friend A, friend A comes on board, and then you just set the expectation, and you DTR, define the relationship. Yep, yep. You and I have been friends since we were 13 years old, buddy. This is what we expect here at this uh, place of work. Uh, these are the uh, the policies, procedures, everything that
0: I've talked to you about. I will let you know where which angle I'm coming from kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that to me makes sense and yet even even with those best intentions it sometimes just it just doesn't work. But I think if you come into it with those expectations clearly laid out saying, you know what, we have a relationship that pre-exists this business relationship on which we are about to embark, so I'm going to ask that we always be 100% honest and 100% transparent about issues that might arise between us or within a, us either personally or professionally. But that we are mature enough to keep those things separate, because I'm never going to think less of you personally because of professional issue. We, and I, so I think that has to be said. However, the devil's advocate to that is we don't know that to be true, because there could be professional decisions that are made that make us question, how well did I really know that person? Does that person really lack integrity? Does that person really not have the dignity that this particular work requires? And as a result now, I'm not only in a turmoil professionally, but also personally. So I just think if you can avoid it, you probably should. I tell uh, people with whom I consult businesses, uh, with whom I consult and their leaders, if you can at all avoid personal relationships with employees, then then you should. I have
1: a friend that will not hire Family or friends? Yeah, they won't. I think it's smart, and a lot of people in this field that I'm in, uh, funeral prof- profession, they that's what they do. They they pass the torch. They have a succession plan of the son, the daughter, the son, the daughter. I mean, it's just been going on. This is the third generation for us, and it, it works. It takes it takes a lot of work to work. I genuinely understand and don't fault this gentleman for saying he won't hire friends or family. I had an epiphany over the weekend. I really did. Over the weekend, I was hanging out with the kids. I was kind of balancing the, uh, I had to go into the funeral home a few times. uh, And then I came back home and I was was like, oh my gosh, work, uh, a work in relationship with like an employee is similar to that of my relationship with my spouse. So both of which are voluntary. I mean, I have no desire whatsoever to divorce my wife. However, but you have two partners that are individuals coming together to make a marriage, a relationship work for until they breathe no more, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you have your ups and your downs, your communicative issues, all these other things that happen, but you find the solutions and you work out problems mm-hmm. and you know you build a home together, etc. cetera. So then you go to work, it's the exact same thing. You have two volu- people, employer employee, voluntarily joining to make something happen. Mm-hmm. to serve the community in this instance. And it's, you know, when one of them doesn't want to, you know, hop on board, it's it's kind of a broken thing. And it's kind of like, does this does this teammate put in more effort whenever they're not going to get anything reciprocated, yada, yada, yada. But I just had this epiphany. I don't really know what that has to do with anything other than I think it, it feels kind of good for me because that's how my brain thinks and just mm-hmm. simplistic terms like that. It's kind of neat to be able to compare, you know, your – your, your partnership with your spouse to that of a relationship within the workplace. And that, I mean, obviously the intimacy is far different, but
0: do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And there are occasions where, you know, those work relationships can't be avoided. One of the things I get to do is is do kind of family therapy with family-owned businesses. Because when you have uh, people from the same family, often across generations, uh, working in the same company, there's there's a lot of ownership, there's a lot of pride, but there's also expectation. Not always is that articulated. Uh, there's disappointment, frustration, and family members, you know, families are hard enough. They require work and intention and attention constantly. When you mix that with your everyday world in work, by a thousand fold multiplies the degree to which that relationship dynamic becomes very problematic to maintain. So it, it oftentimes people need someone else to kind of come in and hold up a mirror and say, here's what I'm seeing, what's going on outside that could benefit you inside the business and what's going on inside the business that could benefit you outside. And that takes, again, I think that just takes people who have a, a, uh, an intellectual curiosity where they want to know how to make themselves and their work better. They don't want to blame. They don't want to find fault. They don't want to distract with excuses. They simply want to say, you know what, here's something that I know is true of me, and I think that's probably not good for us as a family and as a business, and something I need to work on, something I want to change. But you'll you'll hear things about family businesses, like the first generation creates it, the second generation builds it, the third generation destroys it. Those things are not hard and fast. They're not gravitational laws or electromagnetic laws, but they are nonetheless- observational enough that we can create uh, stereotypes around them. And I think it's largely because people tend to focus on others and not on themselves. There's a a quotation somewhere. I don't know who said it about friendship that we, we we choose friends with whose faults we can live. And I think we probably do the same way uh, with employing people. I think we all acknowledge this person's going to bring challenges. This person's going to have issues. We're going to have conflict. But this is someone um, with whose style and with whose issues I think that we can operate. I think we can live. That, that's interesting to me.
1: Me too. Ladies and gentlemen, the brilliance of Dr. Carroll, that last segment has been brought to you by CSX Railways, who you could have beautifully heard the entire time in the background. So thank you, CSX, for coming through and cutting through Owensboro, Kentucky
0: today. What do you think, uh, in terms of friendship, what do you think about men and women being friends?
1: That is a million-dollar question, and it's one that I, uh, as a leader, you know, we... Did you know this, Dr. Carroll? That I am hearing all of my my colleagues from uh, across the country that are in the funeral industry mostly women, some are saying 80, 85% are going into and graduating from mortuary school. So they are looking for for employment. Well, current employers in this funeral home world, they are a majority, what? Men. And now you're getting into the next generation, such as, such as myself. You have, you know, women coming in and it's just a totally new dynamic. I say that all all that to say, to get to your question, I'm, I'm nervous and hesitant to have a female friend that how do I word this for instance, you know, like Rachel who I've been friends with since I was in a crib, and you know all the girls that I grew up with and had great friendships with like Carrie Beth and, and Natalie we can kind of pick up where we left off and I'm friends with their spouses I think there has i don't i think there has to be that um From a marital standpoint, there has to be... Like, I'm friends with Joy, Mm -hmm. you know, your wife. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wouldn't have just gone up to her and broed out with her just because if I hadn't known you. Right. So that's That's, kind of what I'm getting at.
0: That's the difference. Um, I think this is going to be controversial in the best sense. Yeah. uh, Because there are going to be people who absolutely disagree with me on this. Because I was one who once disagreed with me on this. Okay. It's taken me... Uh, a lot of years of thinking and talking, uh, especially with with my wife, Joy, about this, I am going to go out there on the record to say that I don't think men and women should be friends. Now, obviously, I don't mean to not be friendly, not to have relationships with people of the opposite sex, but I think to qualify that relationship as one... Embedded in uh, that person's significant other, if there is one, and and my side of it embedded in 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 my significant other. Again, there will be people who disagree with this because there are people who have been friends with uh, men and women uh, forever, and I think that's beautiful. And if it works for you, go for it. But I know in my my own thinking that there are always. Well, I'll tell you this: there is at least the potential for there to be. Um, destructive or distracting uh, realities that just make it messy. So, you know, something my I've observed that my wife does when we go to the grocery, if she runs into somebody who's a male, she knows the first thing she does is ask how his wife is doing. The last thing she does is say, make sure you tell your wife I said, hey. Uh, and it's going to be a very brief. It's not because she it doesn't trust him or she doesn't trust herself or that I don't trust her. I think it's just a matter of respect. It's an honor it's a code of honor, and and I think it's,
1: to add to that, I can understand where you're coming from. Like you, uh, uh, you and Joy and Megan and me have group text, right? Yeah, it's right. a way for me to enjoy to communicate, but obviously I'm not going to sit there and send private text messages. Right. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a matter of the code of the honor mm-hmm. code same mm-hmm. with jennifer and garrett and me and megan we have a group text and we've mm-hmm. been megan and jennifer oh my gosh have been they literally are so close of friends they don't see each other and then they bump into each other they have on the same outfits i mean like it's ridiculous it's mm-hmm. it's pathetic i mean it is pathetic so i can i can understand and agree with that some pe- i could see where people would be like well i can have a girl that's my friend that we've been friends forever i think it's just a preventative measure really I do
0: too. i do too and i i, I just think that we are at the end of the day, we are creatures with creaturely habits, mm-hmm. and we have creaturely instincts, and I think we just need to make sure that we are always aware of and intentional about how those uh, habits and instincts are employed in our everyday life. And if we're paying attention, and we're 100% transparent and open and honest, and you know we don't have a, a password on our phone, or our, our spouse knows all of our passwords, and I think that's fine, but... Ultimately, in my experience as a therapist, I see it every day. Three times today already, there are problems that emerge that could have been avoided.
1: Well, I think having that freedom in your mind allows you to excel everywhere. Yeah, right.
0: It, it makes me sad because it feels um, not negative so much. It, it ju- if it just it feels like we should have evolved beyond that at this point. Like, yeah, we should be able to to be free and and but it's we're, we're just not there. Yeah. We're not there. There are too many distractions and so, uh, let me tell you something that social media is doing it is wreaking havoc on relationships uh, across the globe.
1: I went to Owensboro Catholic High School to their death and dying class I go there every year and I get to go it depends on how I told the students I always joke with them I'm like the more questions you ask me the more interactive you are the more I come and they're like oh yeah we get to get out of class essentially but we have these awesome productive conversations they were great in asking all these questions and guess what? A majority of them were females in there. Mm-hmm. Um, some some cool some cool guys in there. You know, one gentleman in particular named Mason, a football player, was asking some awesome questions. Uh, the reason why I talked about the girls again is because there were a couple of the girls that were interested in going into the funeral profession. Mm-hmm. But within this conversation, I said, you know what? Social media is terrible. And you know why it's terrible? You know what the most terrible app is? Is Instagram. Mm. And Casey Neistat, who absolutely, absolutely love him. He's really cool. He has a, He and his wife, Candice, have a, a podcast called um, Couples Therapy. Casey Neistat, for those of you who do not know or follow him on YouTube, me being a YouTuber, I do. He um, He's talking about how Instagram is so fake. Um, actually, he was talking because Elon Musk in Joe Rogan's podcast was talking about how fake and depressing Instagram is. So you f- picture this. So how many pictures do you have on your phone? I probably have 2,600. So you're scrolling through 2,600 images in your photo gra- gallery to find one image that you're going to say depicts you for that given day. Well, let's be honest, the picture you end up choosing was four months ago anyway, and you got really, really lucky. So then you pick that photo after 30 minutes of thumbing through finding it, and then you p- uh, spend another 20 minutes trying to find the perfect perfect uh, filter that you're going to put on there. And then you spend another 15 minutes writing the perfect caption to then hit post. And then you spend the rest of your evening comparing how many likes you get compared to your friend who just so happened to show a little bit extra cleavage.
0: I assume you've read something
1: about this rather than this being your own experience. This is... No, this was Elon Musk. Oh, are you joking? Absolutely. We've (laughs) all been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you did there. See, he does this, like, voodoo stuff. It's just really weird. No, I was just saying, like, Elon Musk saying it. Casey Neistat reiterating what Elon Musk Mm -hmm. states, and then me passing this on to the students, and all the students are like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like, how could you have... I mean... You could have spent your last hour being far more productive, doing something with actual human interaction, like you and I are having mm-hmm. right now. We're just so happen to be recording this, which is awesome because when we're ninety years old, we can't hear it anyway. We'll probably play it back on some virtual reality
0: anyway. Yeah, we need to have it transcribed so someone could <laughs> read it to us. Or yeah, then I'll be bl-
1: I mean, I'll be blind and deaf. So it's just kind of. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not either. But what but. do you
0: think is the biggest? Uh, um, challenge or criticism about that kind of filtered life comparing Mm -hmm. just compare i mean i think comparison is is an evil isn't it it's death what do you think is at the root of what's underneath the next layer of comparison do you think
1: see when you ask me these questions i don't ever want to get it wrong and now i have a better reasoning for not because i don't want these people that are listening i'm like dumb dumb
0: what if there's no right or wrong because out beyond right and wrong is a
1: field and i will meet you there mm -hmm. if you all listen to the previous episode You would know that. I love that. 13th century.
0: Rumi. Yes. You got it. Do you want to know the
1: honest truth? There was a pastor here today for the funeral. Okay. Yeah. And I told him one of my new favorite quotes. I don't remember the name, but I think it's a 13th century something or other exact words. Yeah. And I said, uh, out beyond, I think I said it wrong too, by the <laughs> <Lord>. <laughs> Great. but I said, there's a field and I will meet you there and he was like, oh, that's really
0: neat. So I think he, maybe he had heard it and thought I was an absolute idiot, but that is one of my favorite. Yeah. That's one of my favorite. So, so don't be right or wrong. Just give you, give me your impression. What's beneath comparison. Why do we do that? Because we're just, I, I guess it's
1: com- insecurity is what my next thought would be. Okay, just utter good. insecurity.
0: Good. Yeah. What's underneath that? Underneath that. Uh,
1: I think there's a, uh, uh, what's the word, um, character development
0: problem. <laughs> I mean. Do you know, that's one of, the, I'm glad you said that because, and we should, we should have a, a conversation in an episode once uh, in the future about AA and, and, and the, how AA is so much better at being church than church. But there is an element in AA where people talk about a character defect. And I really like a rub against that. I don't like that language. I don't agree with it. I don't, appreciate it. It has been so helpful to so many millions of people that I'm not taking anything away from that. But that language of character defect, to me, makes me think that we're not inherently good, but that we're inherently flawed. And it's hard to get good when we're flawed, says a whole other conversation. But I say that because I think, yes, underneath this drive to look our best and to compare ourselves to others— is a kind of insecurity and if there is any kind of character issue at all i think that the bedrock of it is fear (laughs) and i think fear is is truly our our only enemy wow i think fear drives so much
1: how do you combat fear
0: love actually i think the opposite of fear is love not courage just like the opposite of love isn't hate it's fear And I think um, loving self as self is, as opposed to as if self could be, draws us away from that need to compare ourselves to others, because... I mean, honestly, we tend to compare ourselves to people who we don't think are doing <laughs> as well, maybe, as we. And so we're like, oh, well, you know, at least their marriage is falling apart, because you know, mine isn't. And that's not so, helpful. So true. It's true. I've and, been in so many conversations and like, well, at least... I'm like, just stop. There's this text in the Bible where this guy's praying and this other guy's praying, and the one guy looks at the other guy and his prayer is like this. He's, it says he's beating his chest, saying, thank God I'm not like that guy. And that that's, that's in that quotation that Everybody knows there, but by the grace of God, go I. It's like, if it weren't for God's grace, I'd be like that guy. Well, what does that say about that guy and his relationship to God's grace? Like, that's not so good, right? So I think we need to get rid of that whole comparison model and simply be present to who we are, who we've been, and who we long to become and do the work that it takes to take ourselves from here to there, because there isn't anyone in the world who has the power to do that but us. I can't change you. You can't change me, but we sure as heck can change ourselves. And one person doing the work to change herself, she changes every relationship that she's in when she does it. Even if nobody moves a muscle and she's the only one doing the heavy lifting, every relationship she's in gets better.
1: Wow. true. and TJ and Joel at Wonderboy, they always say, I'm going to love you where you're at. Right. You know, it's pretty cool because yeah. I think it kind of coincides with, with that. Um, right. Fear is the opposite of love.
0: I think so. There's an old text that says, you know, you have to cast out love because love and fear can't coexist.
1: If there's anything that you are, who are listening, are fearful of at this time, whether it be work-related or home-life-related, I think it's just like taking the bull by the horns and kind of just going at it head-on and just uh, acknowledging. I think it's okay to acknowledge fear, right?
0: I think it's the only right thing to do is to acknowledge it first. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it's, it's a monster. And you have to kind of sit back and wonder. Like people talk about, well, you know, it's just fear of the unknown. That's a common phrase.
1: I hear that very frequently, probably twice a week.
0: Something I want to encourage all of us to do is question all of those cliches. Like, why do we have to fear the unknown? Why couldn't we choose some other emotion? Why couldn't we choose anticipation or excitement or hope? Why well, I fear. Like, that's kind of negative. And I think we start into the, quote, unknown world at, out of a negative place. So what is it that we're going to see? You've heard the story of the man and the woman who left this town, and they thought everybody in that town was jerks, and they were going to the next town, they stopped to get gas, and they said, what are the people like in the town ahead? And the guy said, well, what were they like where you just went? And he said, they were all jerks. And the guy's like, yeah, they're all jerks up there too. Because <laughs> you see what you're looking for. Yeah. You find what you're looking for. And if I go into a situation afraid, I will find reasons that I needed to be afraid. And then I'm a negative person. And then I gather other negative people like that around me. And then we become what a more and more negative culture. And I think, you know, the brain is so helpful in that it teaches us and gives us efficient methods to think. And if I'm a negative person, if I have a negative thought, my brain will wire itself. I mean, to use common language, it will wire itself to make it easier for you to think more negatively the next time. It builds these little neuronal bridges, if you could think of that. So it's like, oh, you don't have to go the long way to be negative. Take this shortcut. And then the next time, oh, look, I'll make it even quicker. Make it even quicker. Which, by the way, your brain will do also if you want to be positive. So it's literally a choice. People don't think fear is a choice. It is a choice.
1: Everything is a choice. Love is a choice. I choose my wife every day. I choose to love her every day. I choose to sit here in this room with you and podcast. i I think it's if you really break it down, you say question things like going back to the, like, these simple cliche statements, like questioning everything. Like the, if you break it down, I, yeah, I, I did choose to do that. I did choose to feel that way or think that way. Yeah. Wow. You just blew my mind in kind of a really awesome way. And I was kind of where I'm at in life. I think it's important. I'm a, uh, I would think, wouldn't
0: you think? I'm a pretty positive thinker mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. I think it's so. <laughs> the part you show me. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there might be other pieces that I don't know, but yeah. I mean, I
1: don't know. You you're my friend, so yeah. you see, you don't...
0: That's exactly right. See, back to the whole friendship to circle yep. around. Um, are we ourselves? Is the reason why friendships aren't life-giving and nourishing to us? Because in part, we aren't ourselves in them. Probably. Do you know when I was in college, they gave... Uh, the college gave an award. Uh, some colleges give this award. It's called the John sydney Award. And the winner of the award had got the privilege of giving a lecture to the whole student body in that person's senior year. And so I, for whatever reason, won this award and I got to give this lecture. And I decided for my topic for the lecture to focus on this question, am I my brother's keeper? Which is the question of Cain when Abel goes missing. I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? And it was a, a lecture on friendship titled Am I My Brother's Keeper? And of course... The resulting conclusion was, absolutely, we are our brothers and sisters keepers. That's a part of what friendship means. And to start the lecture, I had a friend of mine, Josh Dolajal, who teaches now in Nebraska, uh, to play the piano and sing a song by now-deceased Christian artist Mark Hurd, H-E-A-R-D. And the song is called What Kind of Friend? And it is a haunting, beautiful, very poignant song about friendship where he asked questions like what kind of friend am I if um if the bomb shelters mine you know and there's no room for you or if you shield my eyes from the bitter truth you know what kind of friend am I if I don't tell you the truth if I'm not who I really am and that song sucked to me so it's what inspired this lecture where ultimately I, I believed and still do that In order to be in human community, we do bear responsibility for one another. And I think that ultimately is what friendship is. I want to be responsible in part for who you are. And this is what accountability means, to be able to go to your friend and say, man, I'm worried about you. Like you're you're not acting like yourself. Recently, I've noticed there have been some things that have kind of triggered some upset that I don't think would have is, are you okay? No judgment, no criticism, not trying to change the power dynamic and make myself better at all. I would love it if someone would come to me and say, are you okay? Mm-hmm. But that's not something people do typically.
1: You did that to me before we started the podcast, and I returned the favor. You did.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's true. That's probably what planted the seed for
1: why we went this direction. And here we are. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope that the people that have been listening today got a nice little nugget kind of you of your favorite words, see, because we're friends and I pay attention to you. So kind. Absolutely. Thank you. I think that it's, I think it's what you've said is invaluable. I think uh, circling back, if you are an employer or a business leader and you are employing friends and or family, it's really important to kind of uh, set the expectation, set the standard and come to people at an angle that is uh, descriptive in what you were saying and saying, hey, uh, this is as your, as your boss and as your authoritative figure of this is what we need to do and kind of be able to separate that too. And then talking to Henry regards to the friends, uh, you know I have just a handful that I'm honored to have and uh, I really think your your thoughts on uh, men and women being friends is very eye-opening and something that I think will spark a lot of conversation for our listeners.
0: I just hope people will be themselves and will find at least one person uh, who is not their spouse who with whom they can share their life and their gladness and their regrets and their um, their joy. And be able to be fully known by another human being. Because, you know, it's it's hard to be known. It requires a lot of vulnerability and transparency. And I think it's one of the best gifts we can give to someone is to really listen and to really accept people as they are and, and enjoy them. Not despite who they are, but because of it. Right. I think it makes us
1: better people, better leaders, better friends.
0: Let's be good friends to each other.
1: Let's do it. Guys,
0: gals, you're... Love far more than you'll ever know, and we appreciate you listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much.